Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I am in a beautiful, brilliant mood today. The sun is shining here in Los Angeles. The regular season and the tankathon are both in the books, and this is what we live for, Andrew. This is what all the blood, sweat, tears, thousands of hate emails all lead up to, right? <laughs> the NBA playoffs, the best time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, sir. And I am so pumped. Uh, let me tell you something. It has been the longest winter I have ever experienced in Washington, D.C. Like, honestly, like five and a half months of just cold, crappy, 40-degree gray weather. And uh, it... and. I look outside my window now. It is 75 degrees, blue skies. Here. It's perfect outside, and that must mean the NBA playoffs are here. Spring is finally real. So I am in a great mood today. I can't wait to talk through every angle of the playoffs. We've got a bunch of great questions. I mean, should we just jump into it? Yeah, I'm picturing you over there just like suntanning with a bunch of groundhogs or something. I mean, this is great. <laughs> I'm living the dream. And honestly, it it shows my dedication to the pod to sit here and talk about basketball for an hour and a half because it would be just it would be so much better to be outside right now. But look, you're not going to get pat yourself on the back for talking about the <laughs> NBA playoffs. First of all, this is your job. Second of all, I'm really excited for the next hour and a half. And I know a lot of our listeners listeners are too. So come on, man. Totally. Put yourself together. Totally. Look, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for the Open Floor Globe. And uh, that's a good place to start. So Alex emailed in and said, I built and run an NBA playoff bracket challenge website called nbabracketology.com. It's our seventh season running it, and I'm trying to spread the word a little bit. It'd be awesome if you guys would do a group for for you and all the open floor fans. I can I can even help you set up a custom header background image for your group if that's something you'd be interested in doing. Now, I did not get back to Alex to set up a custom header slash background image, but I oh, did hold set on, up though. a hold group. on. What? I think I'll probably send over maybe some uh, portrait mode with me and Big Ben Lego set, you know, maybe all lit up. <laughs> yeah, That'd be a totally. nice header image, don't you think? Let's do it right. Let's do it right. We got to get in touch with Alex. But look, a number of emailers hit us up and we're, we're asking whether we were going to do some kind of playoff contest. Some people wanted you and I to compete. Some people wanted one where all the listeners could compete. Alex came through with this email. I just put on Twitter a link to our group. We've already got about 50 people signed up. So check my Twitter and we are doing an open floor NBA playoff challenge this year. Yes, we sure are. So yeah, check Andrew's Twitter. I'll put it up on my Instagram and Twitter pages as well. Everybody in the open floor globe, sign up all across the world. Who's going to dominate? This is the <laughs> ultimate in bragging rights. And Andrew, real quick, I just want to give another plug. Now, Alex's site is nbabracketology.com. Uh-huh. Uh, the NBA actually sent over this morning. They have an official bracket challenge too. So if people are interested in that, there's a prize, uh, you know, like a million dollar prize or something at stake. Uh, I didn't exactly read the details, but it seems like a big deal. You can go to nba.com slash bracket challenge and compete in sort of the quote unquote uh, NBA official bracket as well. So there's dueling Wait. brackets out there for people who want to hedge. Why, but, why? Hold on. Why are you plugging a rival bracket? We're 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 repping NBABracketology.com. Don't do the NBA's official contest. Do our contest. We're gonna have prizes. 
Well, good job, Andrew. You will probably not be voting on awards next year. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, real quick, do you have any thoughts on what the prize should be for our bracket contest? Um, you know, I've got some extra sneakers hanging around. The problem is if, you know, someone like Elizabeth, you know, like a middle school girl would, she's not going to want size 13 shoes. Yeah. So that's probably not going to help. Uh, but we could come up with something good. Yeah. Right? We can dig in the crates. We've got sports memorabilia. You know, we, we could find something that people would actually want. Yeah. We've got a, a bunch of random swag. I, I got some, some James Harden sneakers that I will definitely never wear. So I'll include those we got some hardens um and i i have an extra kelly Ubre bobblehead that is the only official prize we have so far but that will go to the first place winner the the kelly Ubre trophy um so anyways can i just can i just say we're not very good entrepreneurs right now we've plugged multiple different brackets we uh, have not settled on a prize we're just two guys in our living rooms having a chat whatever yeah well here we go you know uh, the playoffs are here and i look forward to competing against you um i put up sort of a fake joke bracket with the winner with the wizards winning the title but i am going to take it more seriously and uh, I think you and I are going to have to devise our own separate bet for this. But let's move on to the actual playoffs. Beyond the bracketology, Jordan says, where does the opening weekend of the playoffs rank among the best events of the NBA season? Here are some other great events of the year off the top of my head. Opening night, opening week, Christmas Day, trade deadline, all-star weekend, draft night, and the start of free agency. Personally, Jordan says, I look forward to Christmas Day games and the first weekend of the playoffs the most of anything throughout the NBA year. Um, Where does it rank for you? I'm curious. It's high, but I'll tell you what. Jordan did that uh, common problem we've been seeing from the open floor mail at gmail.com emailers by answering his own question. Come on, Jordan, let us come up with some of these ideas. But he missed my number one and that's game one of the NBA finals. And like the day leading up to game one of the NBA finals, you know, call me a sucker, but I get goosebumps with the mystique of the finals every year. As soon as I start to see that kind of script F, you know, that great logo the NBA has got, and they kind of print that logo everywhere all over the arena. To be honest, if I could like type in that font at all times, I would like, you know, Dan Gilbert's (laughs) comic sans fetish. Like I would just roll with the NBA's final font for everything. But uh, just the excitement, the buzz, how much international media is there. And then, you know, it, it always hits you. What are the stakes? You know, like this could be LeBron getting closer to Jordan. This could be Steph Curry, you know, ascending to the top, uh, you know, of, of uh, the all-time point guards list. Whatever these sto- storylines come out during the finals, totally. that's sort of when the historical aspect kind of, uh, you know, bombards me. I'd say that one's way up there. Uh, I also have a really soft spot for All-Star Saturday Night, the dunk contest. I talk myself into it every single year that it's going to be like the greatest moment of the entire season. Most of the time it doesn't deliver, I'll be honest, (laughs) but I just keep going back for more every time. Uh, Christmas is definitely up there. Uh, I I can testify that your sincere investment in All-Star Saturday Night is very real and also very very sad because year after year (laughs) you're writing about it as if it's a playoff game and that just the whole thing uh i don't know i i'll never really understand it well you remember the last all-star saturday i was like chasing down dr j for quotes about the dunk contest and following (laughs) lavar ball into his hotel room like it's a little uh little overdose but uh 
I also the start of free agency I think would be kind of top three to me. I mean, there's just it's so chaotic. And then I think draft night would probably round out my top five. So the start of the playoffs to me is not quite uh, on that same level, just because uh, you know, as guys who are writing about this, you know, four games back to back to back on two consecutive days is a lot of brain drain. You know, it it hits you pretty hard and you feel the obligation to watch every minute of it. And from that standpoint, it's not as fun as some of these other things could be, you know? Yeah. For me, it varies year to year. I think, I mean, in general, Trade deadline, draft night, and the start of free agency are my three favorite times of the year, Um, in part because it pulls in all 30 teams and it... All those... Each of those events encompasses, uh, like, the NBA at its most dramatic and also the NBA at its stupidest and just, like, craziest. And it pulls in Twitter. And uh, so that is is the the type of nba that i like most whereas opening playoff weekend some years you get a a, like four or five phenomenal matchups and uh it's like better than march madness but other years um it's tougher to get excited for because they like some of these some of this and i'm speaking about this year specifically I think that like the playoff field could have been much cooler had a couple things bounced a little differently. Yeah, there's two other things that bother me about opening weekend of the playoffs. Number one, and this is actually a, a good thing for the league. You know, a lot of casual fans actually tune in for the playoffs, right? Yeah. And so you can start to tell. You know, I always you know jokingly tell you it's like the fresh eyes takes. You know, <laughs> like the people who have not been watching the teams for all season long suddenly stumble upon stuff that we realized you know four months ago, and they're just tweeting about it constantly. So that always bugs me because it feels like oh. A crowded space has now gotten even more crowded with, you know, people who are just sort of, you know, playing catch up after not paying attention for the entire regular season. Yeah. And the second thing that bothers me is it's so difficult to avoid the game one overreactions. I mean, the way the NBA sets it up, you know, the playoffs start on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. So Monday is just full of the hottest possible takes overreacting to whichever team uh, didn't win the home (laughs) game, you know? Hold on. Can I pause for a second? Because last year, after the opening game of Bucks Raptors, we came on and did the pod, and you, <laughs> I think you predicted that Giannis was going to be one of the best players in the history of basketball, and I oh, think you also added in that as soon as he gets a jump shot, he's going to be the best player in the NBA, which isn't that crazy a claim, but look, you were yeah. filled with a fire too, okay, so you're not immune to this. Well, first of all, both those things sounded accurate. So sure. I, okay, I don't know sure. how you're trying to lump me in with my own. Uh, my I'm own, just uh, saying you were really right and high after that game one. No, and that's part of the reason why it's tough. I mean, I'm not just decrying everyone else. It's really hard not to overreact to the game one when you can actually see these teams and and who reacts to the playoff pressure, who does and who steps up. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's it's just a constant battle when you're looking at a seven game series format of how the matchups are going to go and. Um, it's a natural human tendency. You have to push back against it. And that's part of the reason why I don't like it is because it's really easy to get sucked into. Yeah, I think it's it. part of that is fun too because you're trying to sort of separate the signal from the noise with some of these series because sometimes you see teams like jump all over an opponent and it actually is real and it's just like 
a matchup that was going to be close is actually over in five games. And then sometimes like things swing dramatically. And another example is uh, when the Rockets, the Rockets opened that Spurs series last year. Oh yeah. Just definitely. like beating the crap out of the Spurs. And it was like, Oh my God, like this is going to be over in a week. And then suddenly like a week later, the whole thing flipped. Um, but let's talk about the specific matchups here. There are a bunch of different ways we could do this. I thought maybe we could just go through and power rank the the series and uh, and see what we're looking forward to most and what isn't really moving the needle for us. So uh, are you are you down? I, I listed all the series there for you in the email. Uh, oh, thanks. I wasn't aware of them. Um, <laughs> no, this is actually a really good idea. Not exactly the most innovative idea, sure. but I liked it. We're keeping Can it I simple. I open this up. Can I open this up with the series that I'm looking forward to the most? Yeah. Sixers Heat. And wow, the really? Why, I know. I know. The reason why is, I mean, Embiid is, I've been thirsting for playoff Embiid since November. I uh-huh. mean, that's really where I caught the bug. I can't wait to see him come back. And if you're looking for him to have like that perfect foil, I mean, isn't this basically Hassan Whiteside's role in life <laughs> to be the foil <laughs> for, for Joel, Joel Embiid? Well, and, and, and let me add something there. I think that Hassan Whiteside, I mean, Heat fans know better than anybody, but even like as an interloper who watches maybe one Heat game a week, like you get different versions of Hassan Whiteside uh, depending on the matchup, depending on how wired in he really is. And uh, and one of the reasons I love the Sixers matchup so much is that like, if he's face facing Embiid for six or seven games, like he is going to be locked in, and we're getting peak Whiteside, which is a which is pretty dangerous. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and I want it for the exact opposite reason because I feel like Whiteside will pull the best out of Embiid. Like not like he needed a ton of motivation here, but just that head-to-head matchup, all the trash talking, the subplots, all that stuff. I mean, this is really setting the stage and, and increasing the hype factor. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's the questions on, you know, exactly when in this series is he going to be able to play, and, and that's one reason to keep watching. Uh, I'm also very curious about a question you've raised, and we don't have to go back over it in detail, but, you know, Ben Simmons' translation to the playoffs. You know, Miami's got some pretty good bodies to throw on him. You know, they have a bunch of different looks they can use on him, yeah. and they're going to do everything they can, I'm sure, to exploit his lack of shooting. How does he adjust? Uh, how does he handle sort of, you know, when the lights go on? Uh, you know, well, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So to me, that's just they're the most fascinating team in the league right now because of how good they've been lately, uh, and because of the major personalities that they've got on their roster. So to me, it almost didn't matter really who Philadelphia played. I would have ranked their series number one. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I think I, I I I hadn't thought about the Ben Simmons side of it as much, but you're right. I mean, as far as tests, the Heat have a number of bodies to throw at him, and they're also one of the smartest defensive teams in the league. And so they're going to be very disciplined uh, about screwing with him and forcing him into sort of like uncomfortable spots. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think the Sixers have looked so, so good for the past couple weeks. But I think stylistically, there are going to be challenges reintegrating Embiid into the offense. And I also just, part of me is kind of, banking on like a a correction of sorts or a regression because I don't think that they're quite as good as they looked for the last couple weeks and I told you during the Bucks game like when they I think they had 80 points in the first half they were up like 45 points on Milwaukee 
And my first thought was, man, like, I'm not sure who Philly's going to play in the first round, but I would bet on whoever they're playing to, to win that game one, just because it, it's, it all feels a little bit too good to be true. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of a little bit skeptical, at least early on with the Sixers. I mean, they could easily make the finals too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like a joyride in Grand Theft Auto. Like, everything's going great, right? And you, maybe you get away from the gobs with five stars on you, and maybe you go to jail. Like, <laughs> it, it could go either direction. And that's, I mean, you know, that that's why it's so entertaining, so exciting. We've just never seen them do it before. You know, one other thing to point out about this series, you know, Miami's offense, I, I believe, is the worst offense in, among the 16 playoff teams. Philly's defense is obviously very highly rated when right. uh, Embiid is on the court. So... Uh, you know, there is a chance that, you know, if this, you know, doesn't wind up being like this you know, fun gun Sixers version that, you know, Philly could still find a way to win this series through the through the power of their defense, just the advantage on that side, you know, compared to Miami's offense, which kind of scrounges for everything they can get. So um, I don't know exactly know how it's going to play out, but that's number one for me. Well, number two, l- let me add wh- one thing on that series. I'm definitely picking Philly to win that series. And uh, I like I think Game one will be more dramatic than people expect, but I think over over the course of five or six or seven games, Philly will be able to get some separation, and in in large part because like listeners of the pod know, I love watching the Heat. One of the things that's kind of tough watching the Heat is they will look great for maybe seventy five, eighty percent of every game they play. They've got all these strange role players who step up they they play fast they like uh justice winslow will play point guard for 10 minutes it's awesome it's just like a really strange fun team but then they also in almost every game they play will have like 15 or 20 minutes where they just can't get a bucket and like I, i didn't know that stat about their offense but it makes a lot of sense where like this is a team that really struggles to score and i think in a playoff setting, that's going to come back to hurt them, and will probably keep them from ever from like making any real noise here. For sure. So number two on my list, okay, uh, Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder. Interesting. And I'm going on this one because I feel like it sort of sets up uh, a dichotomy between like, oh, you need stars to win in the playoffs, and then like defense wins championships you know which is sort of like Utah's MO and uh so you've got that tension there but what's really fascinating to me and like stop me if you've heard this one before okay so uh you know this year Utah is going to be entering a very close first round playoff series as the number five seed against an opponent that's known for star power their chemistry questions and free agency uncertainty isn't that the exact same situation they were in last year as the number five seed against the number four seeded LA Clippers who had plenty of star power, plenty of chemistry questions, and obviously free agency uncertainty as well. So it's like there's this feeling of deja vu. And, you know, I covered uh, that Clippers jazz series and it really got away from the Clippers and things that had been sort of small little fissures during the season really exploded into like cracks, right? Like, uh, Blake Griffin obviously has the injury issue. Chris Paul has to start trying to do everything. They had, you know, pretty terrible, uh, you know, cohesion in that locker room. I mean, they tried, but, you know, ultimately they were broken by Utah's just discipline, quality defense, lack of mistakes. And I think, you know, Oklahoma City has some of those same fissures. I mean, we've been over it over and over again. 
Now, Oklahoma City has better health than L.A., obviously, given Griffin's absence last year. Right. Um, but their depth isn't great. Um, you know, Westbrook has a lot of questions to answer after the way he played in the playoffs last year with his, like, 47 usage rate. What did their games uh, and, look like this season? Do you know? Yeah, so that's the interesting part because – Oklahoma City won the season series 3-1, but all the games were before Christmas. So, you know, they were catching uh, Utah during that, like, Rudy Gobertless stretch. And uh, so you can't take a ton from that, probably. And obviously, the Jazz closed the season with incredible momentum, thanks in large part to Donovan Mitchell, as we've been over before. Uh, Whereas Oklahoma City is kind of stumbling in, you know, Paul George is slumping, you know, Carmelo is going to be an obvious piece that people are going to pick on. So I just think it's going to be lots of contrasting uh, style stuff uh, and then just possible combustibility on the Oklahoma City side. And so from from that standpoint, it's like it's going to be intriguing, even if the basketball maybe isn't as high powered or as exciting as some of these other series. I think that that is definitely the runaway favorite to be every basketball nerd's favorite series, Um, just because of the matchups, like you said, and because basketball nerds. Uh, across the internet tend to love the Utah Jazz more than the general public. Um, I'm interested in it. I don't know if I'm I I don't know if I trust Utah's offense uh, enough to to really like. I I th- I could easily see that being a five game Thunder win. I guess that would be my worry about about putting that so high on the uh, power rankings. Yeah, that's totally fair. And if that happens, I mean, that's interesting, too, because that could be the type of thing where Paul George says, hey, you know, we are an elite team in the Western Conference. And maybe there were some bumps uh, along the road in year one, but maybe he considers, you know, sticking around there. So I think my main interest is, to be honest, loose lips, Paul on the podium. (laughs) Like I'm going to follow him (laughs) everywhere. Doesn't matter how long, uh, you know, the series goes, who he's playing against because of the implications of that coming up this summer in free agency. Uh, you know, I, I think the spotlight's on. Yeah. All right. Three. Who you got? Uh, my number three series is actually Pelicans Blazers. All right. Uh, it's very, very close. That's you know, if my you look number at, one like, for the record. Oh, really? Well, uh, I'll just say quickly. I mean, it's very close by point differential. There's not much separating these teams. You've got good star power: Anthony Davis, uh, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. Uh, you've got Davis in a situation where Portland is going to have trouble matching up with him and they don't have a great guy to throw on him. So he should be able to put up monster numbers. And also, I mean, just simply put, this is Davis's best chance ever to win a playoff series in his career. And it's not close. Obviously his only other playoff trip, uh, came against Golden State. He didn't even win a single game. I mean, if we want to keep Anthony Davis, you know, in this top three, top five conversation of, of players in the league, like this is a team that's, you know, in Portland, uh, lost five of its last six going into the playoffs. They're very good, but not great, not elite. Um, and Anthony Davis has been dragging his team all season long, but this is his shot. This is his chance. And uh, I just want to see how he responds to that. I want to see some 40-20s from Anthony Davis. Hey, that's definitely half of why I'm so excited for it is because you look at that Portland roster, they have nobody to, to throw at Anthony Davis. I mean, I guess... Their plan will probably be to throw Al Farouk Aminu on him and just sort of like say a prayer, but it's going to be rough, um, and I think watching him go off will be a lot of fun. I also think like the Blazers 
have been consistently one of the most entertaining teams in, to watch like in any setting for the last couple years uh, and because and that's largely because of Lillard and McCollum um, I what I worry about with Portland is watching them against the Nuggets uh, I believe it was last week like they really need their role players to step up and I don't trust Harkless and Aminu and this, some, some of those guys to like really be there in the playoffs and really be relevant factors. And at that point, it's going to be Lillard versus Anthony Davis and like whoever whoever is more dominant between those two could could very well swing the series. I mean, I know Drew Holiday and Miritich and even we'll get a little Rondo in our lives, but I think it's just a really evenly matched series between two imperfect teams with like two of the most entertaining individual superstars in the league, and it should be awesome. Yeah, I think your point about the role guys applies to the Pelicans as well. And you know, if you had to pick an X factor in this series, there's like 25 players to choose from. <laughs> you know, like it, it basically anyone could be an X factor who could win you a game because the drop off in talent, you know, from the top guys on, on both uh, teams is is fairly steep. Hey, my next one up on my list, though, okay. uh, is Bucks Celtics. And I want to draw some parallels here for you because I think Giannis and Anthony Davis are in very interesting, similar situations because they're obviously both going for, you know, the first playoff series victory of their careers. They're trying to establish their reputation as postseason winners. They had tough seasons. Of course, Giannis loses Jason Kidd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the Bucks are just kind of weird and mediocre. The Pelicans go through uh, the Cousins injury and try to, like, you know, remake themselves on the fly. Uh, neither team sort of had that ideal year, but I think they both had great luck in terms of who they kind of backed into in terms of their first round playoff opponents. Because for New Orleans, Davis avoids uh, the Spurs. Davis avoids uh, Draymond Green. Davis avoids having to try to keep up with the Rockets in some sort of a you know a crazy shootout. And he avoids the Jazz with Rudy Gobert. Like of all the teams that he'd probably like to personally match up with uh, that were available opponents, yeah, Portland's probably you know essentially the, the best or most favorable one. And I think you can actually say the same thing about uh, you know Giannis versus the Celtics as well because. Uh, the Raptors eliminated the Bucks last year. I think if you look, you know, over the last 12 months, Milwaukee's barely gotten better, if at all. And Toronto is significantly stronger than they were this time last year. Uh, he avoids LeBron, which obviously everyone wants to avoid LeBron. And then he also avoids like the three-headed monster of Simmons, Embiid, and Covington, who I think would really have uh, the best chance of kind of Slowing limiting his yeah. offensive game. And, you know, for Boston, like their defense is awesome. You know, it's, you know, the best in the East. Uh, even, you know, they, they've survived all these injuries and still play defense at a very, very high level. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on Boston's young wings to kind of contain Giannis and do what they can do. And during the regular season, Giannis averaged more than 33 points against Boston. It was his second highest average against any team uh, in the league. The only team he averaged more points against was Cleveland. Uh, that puts him in a situation where, like, it's going to be, you know, if push comes to shove, it could be Giannis versus the world. And I'm excited to see how that plays out. And I think uh, given how, you know, frustrating Milwaukee's season has been, you really can't ask for much more than this. Yeah, I mean, if it's Giannis versus the world, everyone knows where we'll come down. It would be great to watch Giannis try to average 40 a game and take down, like, that Celtics B team. Uh I just, I, I have no idea what's going on with the Bucks right now. Like, were they trying to lose that Sixers game? Because I went out to dinner uh, on Wednesday night, 
and got home in time to watch all of the games. I got home at the end of the first quarter from Buck Sixers, and the Bucks were already down like 25 points. And maybe that's just how the Sixers are playing right now, but it also feels like the Bucks have been kind of sleepwalking and or just like dead in the water for the last month. And it makes it harder to get excited for their playoff series because, it, like, even if they win, I feel like that's a little bit misleading uh, because it's like you're playing a shell of a Celtics team. And then, I mean, we said this a, a week or two ago, like, this could set up to be a really humiliating loss for Milwaukee because Boston is basically the team <laughs> that, like, has nailed all the moves on the margins that the Bucks have screwed up for the last 10 years. And, uh, I mean, the Bucks have a lot more talent than Boston. But it's, if anything, I think I like Boston to win this series. Look, the, Andrew, your fellow board members at Giannis Inc. are concerned about your negativity here, okay? <laughs> I'm now, sorry, first of I'm all, just being honest. It, look, if they win a playoff series, there's no asterisk against it. It'd be the first time he's done that in his career. That's a major milestone. I mean, that would be worth celebrating. Um, I know if they look, lose, it's worth celebrating think, for Giannis individually, but I worry about the franchise reading too much into that success, I guess would be my point. Oh, I understand. And you know, how does that change their motivations this summer and stuff like that? I mean, there's implications, but, uh, ultimately Giannis Inc. Do we care about Giannis first or the Bucks first? We care about Giannis <laughs> first <laughs> and it's time for him to take the next step in his basketball journey. And he's got a chance to do it. And the, the one reason why I'd say that this uh, series is sneaky watchable is don't forget, Giannis can play like 47 minutes a night, and yeah. he probably will. True. So, you know, if, if I'm Joe Prunty, <laughs> interim coach who's not coming back, I'm playing Giannis 47.5 <laughs> minutes a game. You know, he can have like a 20-second timeout and some Gatorade every once in a while. I'm just going down with Giannis no matter what. So uh, I think that will uh, that will maybe make this – uh, Milwaukee well, look a bit, little bit more entertaining than they have. Yeah, I'm into it. And if we're talking about entertainment value, I mean, one of the big reasons this is going to be one of the more entertaining matchups is because it's pretty evenly matched. I, I, like, I think where Milwaukee has the talent advantage, Boston has the coaching advantage, and Boston will probably run smarter sets and, and come up with interesting ways to defend Giannis. And it, it will be really entertaining. I am mostly just like baffled by how shitty the Bucks have looked for the last six weeks. I don't understand it. I'm with you. I just have visions of Giannis just demoralizing the Raptors fans early in that series last year, and, I, and I'm ready for another dose of it. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, Back half of the up, list, I'm, what do you got? Uh, Pacers, Cavs next up. Um, Ooh, that's a little high for me. Yeah, I feel you. Part of it is just the questions about everything other than LeBron in Cleveland. I still feel like so many of those are unanswered and they keep telling us, Oh, we're going to turn it on. You know, they're doing the same flip switching game that golden state's trying to do. Right. Yeah. Well, let's see it because Indiana is plucky. You know, they're going to come at you now. Are they the greatest team in the world? Probably not. Are they everyone's favorite team to watch? Probably not. I hear those kinds of concerns, but, uh, and they may be a little shell shocked once they get into the playoffs and see LeBron, you know, doing what he does uh, this time of the year. But uh, I, I don't necessarily expect this to be a complete, you know, cakewalk uh, for the Cavaliers. Yeah. And I think I want, and I want to see just, can they really ramp their def defense up in any meaningful way? Because it is by far the worst defense in the playoffs, not even close. And that's going to become a problem when they play more balanced teams down the stretch. So 
it's it's mostly just as a, a check in, you know, a checkup appointment uh, on the Cavaliers <laughs> and where they're at. I agree with you that the Pacers kind of have their shit together enough so that Cleveland is going to have to beat them. They're not just going to sort of roll over and uh, and it will make for some interesting tests, particularly for that supporting cast. Uh, I I will say this. My Rodney Hood theory is looking pretty good because over the last couple of weeks, he's begun to reclaim some dignity for the Cavs. And uh, after getting his injury out of the way and his inexplicable slump, he's in a good spot to maybe help them uh, these first couple rounds. And I, I'm excited to watch him and I'm excited to watch Kevin Love as well. Yeah, and that's actually another reason to tune into Cleveland is like they have a lot of new guys who are you know, getting their feet wet for the first time in the playoffs. So yeah. how do they respond? Uh, you know, on Indiana's side, uh, they have the nobody believes in us mentality down pat. You know, I mean, that's Utah East in terms of how their fan base operates right. and all the pressure will be on Cleveland. Right. So if Ola, like you can imagine a scenario where like Oladipo comes out, randomly goes for 35 in game one, hits a game winner. And then all of a sudden they're just like having the greatest <laughs> yeah. day of their lives. That, right? look, so cue the, the cue, the round one overreactions. If that happens, that would be amazing. Yeah, and so, like, you know, they're David going against Goliath. That's a fun story, okay. and, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Next on your list, who you got? Uh, I am surprised that they're this far down, uh, but I've got Warriors Spurs. Okay, yeah. Uh, main reason uh, they weren't higher is that I think it's going to be a real slugfest uh, offensively. Uh, you know, Golden State can play better offense than they have without Steph Curry. Uh, but they've still not totally found their rhythm and San Antonio's defense is, you know, obviously elite and, you know, in great shape. Uh, I just think that it's going to be the type of series where, uh, you know, everything comes difficult and uh, it's not that sexy matchup that we're kind of hoping for. I mean, to be honest, I'm already entering this series with a little bit of a letdown because I've wanted to see the Warriors and Spurs match up for basically like the last five years in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, this is and the like, worst possible version we could get. But Andrew, we've had so many bad versions. Like the first time they played, like Steph Curry and Clay really hadn't quite figured things out. So San Antonio wins. Yeah. They don't play for like the next two or three years when San Antonio is dominant. Then Golden State uh, winds up you know, becoming the best team in the West, but they avoid the Spurs twice. We finally get the matchup last year, and then Zaza slides under Kawhi and blows up <laughs> that Western Conference Finals. Yeah. And now we have both Curry and no Kawhi in this series. It's like, can we please just see these two teams play each other uh, when these guys are still good? Can I, it's sort of like the, oh, the greatest rivalry that never was, you know? Yeah, and let me add that I am bummed. When I said earlier, like had a couple things bounced a little bit differently the first round playoff field would be a lot more fun. Uh, number one, had the Wizards slid into the sixth or seventh seed, uh, I think that could have made for some really entertaining matchups. Um, and the Warriors, man, they are vulnerable, and the Spurs are not the team that's going to beat them. I'm not worried about San Antonio really pushing them. Um, I mean, it, it, saying that, San Antonio could win game one, and I still wouldn't be that worried. Um, I think the Warriors against a team like the Jazz or a team like the Pelicans could have been a lot more interesting, and I'm just bummed out because we've been robbed of Golden State drama through most of last year's play playoffs, and uh, and now like this was our one two-week window to maybe see them tested and to see Kevin Durant tested individually. And uh, the Spurs are just not going to 
be able to put up much of a fight, in my opinion. Okay, I, I think it's going to be a, a pretty competitive series. Um, I think there's going to be twists and turns involved, uh, but you know, I still see the Warriors winning. But I, I could see it going six. I wouldn't be like totally stunned if it yeah, went seven. Yeah, so it'll go six, but like six of uh, it'll be a formality. <laughs> like I, I don't think anybody is going to ever look across at that Spurs team, half of whom were in the D League two years ago, and be like hey. that worried. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm and sorry. Of, and half of whom are, are headed for the Hall of Fame. Show some respect. Okay, Come sure, on. sure. That's fine. I mean, look, Manu, it's cool that he's still playing, but the dude is like 38 years old. I, it's tough. Yeah, and you're so young. Come on now, lay off. You're thirty. You're thirty plus. You don't need to pick on him. He's doing great. All right. Uh, let me just let me say this though. Uh, San Antonio, they need a big series from Lamarcus Aldridge. I mean, duh. But in the last three losses of uh, last year's Western Conference Finals, let's not forget he was a real shrinking violet. Thirty-four yeah. points on thirty-nine shots combined over those three losses. That's why they had no shot. So if he steps up and plays better in this matchup this year. Uh, they they will be in a better position. I think against Golden State this season in four games, he averaged basically 27 points and 11 rebounds on 53% shooting. So good numbers. You know, if, if that Aldridge shows up, uh, it could be a little bit more interesting than you might expect. If that Aldridge doesn't show up and like instead Draymond Green just eats him alive and devours him, then what you're saying here about it not really being a true series uh, is going to look right on the money. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's move on. We've got Raptors, Wizards, and uh, Rockets, Wolves at the bottom there, but we can talk about those teams in the second half. We've, we should keep it moving, uh, but first, a word from our friends at Buffalo Wild Wings. Ben, tell us about the Boss Burger, please. Andrew, there's a new boss in town at Buffalo Wild Wings, and he deals in bacon. It's the Bacon <laughs> Boss Burger featuring bacon three different ways and a blanket of white cheese sauce now presumably it's like vegetarian bacon vegan bacon and soy bacon not totally sure on that (laughs) that's why you're into it definitely the boss which is the bacon boss burger at buffalo wild wings is joined by other new favorites like the smothered cheese steak quesadilla sweet chili shrimp an Alaska Cod Classic. And all of it pairs perfectly with a Sam 76, a fruity ale with the crisp finish of a lager. Hurry in today and try them all before they're gone at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. The Buffalo Boss Burger, no, the Bacon Boss Burger is available for a limited time while supplies last. Please drink responsibly. Go in, check out Buffalo Wild Wings. Tell them Open Floor sent you. All of all of Ben Golliver's favorite foods are waiting for you there. Yeah, one thing I'd say, Andrew, you know, usually when people say while supplies last, it's like kind of optimistic. I mean, they've got plenty of supplies. They're just trying to do that to encourage you to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I think these bacon boss burgers are going to be flying off the shelves. If you're telling me they've got three types of bacon and a blanket uh, of white of cheese. cheese sauce. Yeah. I mean, did they get mattress firm to, su- to supply the blanket here? I mean, what were they doing? But uh, <laughs> this sounds phenomenally tasty. Go and check it yes, out. Yes, get in there as soon as possible. And uh, let's get back into it. Speaking of food here, uh, question from Edgar who says, or I guess this is more of a comment from Edgar. He says, catching up on last week's pod, I usually love Ben's analogies but his Westbrook analogy missed the mark. 
An ice cream cake is pure empty calories. Though it tastes good and can be satisfying in the moment, it does not provide much nutritional value, and you'll ultimately become really sick if that's all you ever eat. Westbrook isn't like that. His team consistently performs well, even if they're not necessarily contending. A better comparison for the ice cream cake would be a player like Jamal Crawford or maybe the current version of Devin Booker, guys who put up points in style but rarely impact winning. Instead, I would compare Westbrook to a diet of only really spicy Thai food. It's delicious but also painful. While you can be healthy eating this every night for dinner, it's probably not going to be your optimal diet unless you spent your whole life eating it and constructed a colon slash team perfectly suited to handle it. So Ben, do you have any responses to that? Yeah, Edgar nailed it. I mean, look, I'll admit my ice cream analogy I came up with on the fly. It was not perfect. I retracted. <laughs> Edgar, it's a fantastic analogy. Westbrook will have you on the couch feeling good about yourself, and he will have you hug- hugging the porcelain feeling bad about yourself in the span of a two-hour period. Uh, I think you nailed it here, and the colon thing put it over the top. You know, apologies to our listeners who might have, uh, you know, the weaker stomachs, but uh, you nailed it. So... This is a good opportunity to talk about the last week of Russell Westbrook. And I want to take issue with something you said earlier. You said that, like, OKC is kind of limping into the playoffs. Look, we bag on Russ pretty con- pretty much constantly, and uh, I think a lot of it's fair. However, last week we were sitting here talking about the Thunder and kind of wondering, like, how they were going to finish out this season. There was a chance they could miss the playoffs. Uh, they had a big game in Houston that I don't think anybody expected them to win. OKC went and got two really impressive wins. First on the road in Houston, second on the road in Miami, a game where they were down in the second half and came back and uh, and looked pretty impressive. And then to top it all off, Russ went out and I think he got like, what, 18 rebounds in 20 minutes to seal his triple-double, averaging a triple-double for the entire season for the second year in a row. So, I don't know. It's been a good week for for Westbrook, and we've gotten the full spectrum of of the experience, I think. I guess the full spectrum would include like a 6-for-25 game where he shoots OKC out of it. But we've gotten the full spectrum of good Russell Westbrook this week. Yeah, I mean, maybe my phrasing limping into the playoffs wasn't totally accurate, but I, I just don't think that they've really struck that identity. I mean, they still face the same kind of inconsistency night in, night out that they've had all season long. And the key point is Westbrook by himself is not going to go very far in the playoffs. We sure. learned that last year. It's got to be about the Thunder, not just about Westbrook. Westbrook had a great week. I mean, <laughs> Carmelo, you know, didn't have a few rebounds he probably should have had in that game, but Westbrook got him and he's looking, you know, <laughs> fantastic right alongside Oscar Robertson in the record book so I'm not even going to argue with you that Westbrook had a great week did the Thunder have a great week and have they had a great month and have they had a great three months uh you know given the way that Paul George has been playing since basically the all-star break I mean that's my question now I want to see Paul George turn on these playoffs you know it's not just about you know putting the spotlight on his comments or how he reacts you know given wins and losses and stuff like that it's about does he really raise his game and he did last year. Yeah, you know, I mean, he he faced off against LeBron James in the playoffs. He played pretty well. Uh, you know, give him credit for that. You know, we we kind of uh, mock him, you know, fairly regularly here. But he played pretty well in that first round series. Uh, let's see that again against Utah. And you know, these guys are more talented at the top. I mean, we've said that. So this is why it's such a fascinating matchup because 
talent should win, right? I mean, in this situation, shouldn't we be favoring Oklahoma City in this series? And yet I don't feel comfortable at all picking them uh, given how wildly uh, they can swing between how they look when they're good and how they look when they play bad. Yeah, I'm definitely on high alert uh, because my personal experience watching Russell Westbrook the last few years has been that like, Every time I'm ready to write him off as just being a counterproductive player who is really talented but on, ultimately handicaps the team, every time I, I like get to a place where I feel confident saying that out loud, I'll watch him go out and just have like an unbelievable all-around game like he did in Houston where he looked great. OKC got a big win and honestly looked like they were on equal footing with a really, really good Rockets team. Um, but then every time I swing back and begin to believe in Russell Westbrook, I will watch him just like jack up too many shots, freeze other guys out of the offense and just like make horrifying decisions. And so I don't want to get too high or too low. Uh, My only observation is that they're, they're better than we thought. And I don't think we can casually dismiss, uh, what's possible for them over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that spicy Thai food's getting you, man, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It goes back and forth. I mean, look, Thai food's really good, okay? Um, but uh, congrats to him on the triple-double. I enjoyed how ridiculous he was over the fi- final two games. And I, to me, it doesn't bother me that he was completely shameless at, at the end there. I, I thought it was kind of a, a funny sideshow that I guess other people got a little bit preachy about. But uh, more power to Russ, honestly. No, I mean, to me, the story from the triple-double is just the reaction and the contrast between this year and last year. Where, you know, last year, because no one had done it for so long and because he was so consistent and in that MVP race, it was a daily story. This year, he does it again, and it's like a footnote. You know, yeah. I mean, I, it hardly got any coverage. And people were kind of mocking it this year, which I thought, you know, that's going a little I bit too far. I think it's going so. too far to mock it. Uh, that's a good way to explain it. I think, like... We can we can keep it in perspective, but it is also it it remains crazy impressive that Russ can do that, and even it's impressive that he can go out and play twenty minutes against the Grizzlies team and almost get twenty rebounds. I mean, that like that's normal humans can't do that. Yeah, and to be honest, you know we we've been hard on his media presentation too. But when he was asked about it, I loved what he said. You know, he's like, "Look, I'm going out there to get him. If you want him, you know, fight me yeah, for him." Basically, totally. was what he said about the rebounds. And you have to like that attitude. If that guy's on your team, you like that sort of, you know, hard headedness or competitiveness, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, he obviously has his flaws, but uh, he has a lot of strengths too. And I think you're right. He, he deserves, you know, unqualified congratulations for. Uh, you know the the triple doubles because absurd. it's <laughs> that's not a one game thing yeah yeah and like that's the thing like okay he got 18 or whatever in the last game of the season well he also got a lot of rebounds the entire season you know and he was very healthy he played tons of games and he brought it every single night he deserves full credit for that yeah um all right well moving on to a team that does not deserve full credit for anything uh Will says, Andrew, would you sacrifice all of this season's progress including Sato's rise Beal's advances, the development of key role players like Kelly Oubre. If you could take back John Wall's game six winning shot and everything that I think came with that, namely John Wall turning into Reggie Jackson this season, I would take it. This is a uh, Will talking. I would take it all back. Um, and 
what a framing for this series. How excited are you? Hey, can I ask you one question about the Wizards? I mean, um, sure, I guess, whatever. Like on a scale of like, you know, five alarms, right? Like let's just call this like a fire, like one to five alarms. How nervous were you that Sadoransky played 42 minutes in a season finale loss to the Orlando Magic? I mean, what is that? <laughs> Dude, I almost don't know where to start. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, we come on and talk about the Wizards uh, like once a week, one every two or three podcasts. We'll mention them, and usually I'm joking around and whatever. And I have a sense of humor about how fucking dysfunctional they are. But the past week has really put me over the edge, starting with the <laughs> loss to the Atlanta Hawks at home. The Hawks didn't even have their full roster because a couple of their guys had to go play in the G League playoffs, and the Wizards lost Priorities. to that team. <laughs> and like, Priorities. You know what, man? Like They've lost so many winnable games. The seventh seed was sitting right there for them. But the way I have come to think of it and it took me about 24 hours and like i was horrified with their performance against the magic because also i was watching that game and i at at the same time i'd been watching heat versus the raptors and uh the heat were coming back and i was like living and dying with every wayne ellington three rooting for the wizards to get the seventh seed which to me in my head, my broken wizard's brain, I thought I was looking at it as like a path to the conference finals or at least a path to like a phenomenal uh, series with the Sixers. It would have been so much fun. But um, of course, the Wizards completely ruined that heat comeback for me. Uh, what I would say, though, is that like you and I were talking about the Wizards matching up with the Celtics last week. And even as I was talking about it, like part of me felt guilty because beating the Celtics <laughs> would have just been like a dishonest way to end this season. And so I I almost feel like this is a case of like ball don't lie with a team because to to have this like shit show of a Wizards team actually win a playoff series would have been kind of like disgraceful to the game. And so I think that maybe the Raptors matchup. At least the Raptors will will test them. I like the the Wizards had had too much talent to to lose to the Celtics, but like they're gonna have to actually get their act together if they want to compete with the Raptors. And uh, we'll see what happens. But like I've never been lower on on the Wizards than I than I have been for the last like six days. Well, hopefully in the post-production of this uh, episode, we can get some Elliot Smith music in the background of that rant. <laughs> Wow. Uh, I feel really bad for you. When you were describing the contrast between watching the Wizards and then watching the, the Heat in their fantastic comeback, I was thinking of those people who like sort of get addicted to virtual reality, you know, where like they have the headsets on for like 12 hours a day and like they think they're living that fake life where, you know, whatever they're doing on their headset is, is reality. They take the headset off and they realize they're stuck with the same old job and the same old uh, wife yep. and kids or whatever. <laughs> like your real life Wizards are really getting to you. Um, it's bad. To be it's honest, bad. though, I, look, I'm ready to defect and become a full time Heat fan, but I'm sure I'll, I'll settle down in the next week or two. Well, let me say this though: um, this is why I had Wizards Raptors ranked as the eighth seed in terms of my power rankings. They were dead last, yeah. and everything that you had said about the Bucks earlier in terms of like being worried about watching them—that's how I feel about the Wizards. You know, because for me, like 
they're going to probably break your heart. That's most likely <laughs> now, what's going to happen. No, they can't because I'm not even invested. I was talking to a friend earlier uh, and we were, like, we were like, look, should we even watch the game on Saturday? And I think we are, but we're going to go to a restaurant. We're not going to be like locked in because screw this team, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, but on top of that, there's also just the total anxiety of Canada to consider as well. We're like, if anything goes wrong on their side, it's going to be just a termite meltdown, you know, defection across the border Yeah. Uh, if the Raptors don't take care of business. So it just seems like it's a no-win proposition. So, uh, but it'll be fun to watch. I mean, I will really? be hate watching that series. <laughs> yeah, I, I will hate watch that series. I mean, look, I, I probably won't pick on you because you sound really low. I mean, I think we should maybe no, even look, just change the subject. I don't want anybody to be worried about me. I'm good. I'm just... Taking a clear-eyed look at the Wizards, and when you really break it down, it's management, it's bad coaching, and bad superstars. Like the, the that's a, a the Magic game was a game where like if you have stars who actually have pride, they show up and like win that game. I mean, like the Magic were honestly ro- rolling out like a G League team in the final quarter and the Wizards scored 17 points. It's it's terrible. Didn't they have like didn't they have like a halftime contest or a third quarter timeout contest where they let a lucky fan fire Frank Vogel <laughs> during that game too? Like wasn't that part of it? Man, yeah, it's rough. It's rough, but uh who knows? The Wizards are probably going to the finals after this after this segment. But uh, moving on here, a couple more questions. Um, we've actually we've got a robust list today. Aaron says, which teams are most unprepared for the intensity of the playoffs, and which teams do you think might suffer most from lack of calls with playoff officiating? What do you think? Um, I mean, your tendency here usually is to go with the, the least experienced teams, right? Mm-hmm. I think one one team I'm somewhat worried about in that regard is Minnesota. Uh, now, they had a great showing in that, you know, season finale against Denver where, you know, they, they gutted it out in overtime. And clearly they've got guys like Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson who know their way around the playoffs. The guy I'm mostly worried about, though, is actually Carl Anthony Towns. Because I believe he led the league in personal fouls this year, and he is going to be in situations against Houston where like his body is just not going to move as quickly as it needs to. And yeah. there was a couple situations there where like he was tracking out on guys on the perimeter last night, and he was like spinning completely the wrong way as he was getting blown by. Like his body was just sort of, you know, a ghost was taking over his soul <laughs> and just moving him in completely the wrong ways, and that's going to lead to some fouls when he's getting. Uh, you know, tortured by guys like James Harden and Chris Paul. Now he's probably going to do a little bit better than Zubak did the other night uh, when the, Chris Paul went between his legs and, you know, just made him look completely foolish uh, in the Rockets Lakers game. But I think he is definitely one guy because he's, he also has that tendency to argue a lot. You know, like yes. he's going back at refs. He's got a little whininess to him, uh, which I wish he would work out of his game. And I think it could be a rude awakening for him in the postseason. Uh, I thought he was going to get teed other, up uh, in the middle of that Nuggets game because he was going back and forth with the ref like on some, several consecutive trips where I was like, dude, just just chill. Take it down a notch. Well, and that's actually a great point because they swallowed the whistles. And this is why the players are so upset because when the games actually matter, the refs swallow the whistles and they let them play like they're supposed to, right? But like the other six months of the regular season, they've been throwing out technicals left and right for like little ticky-tack stuff. I mean, if you were a player, I'm sure that kind of stuff would drive you crazy, but... Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that it, that sort of decided that game. And it was, it's funny, Aaron elsewhere in his email mentioned that like 
Taj Gibson being allowed to maul Jokic down the stretch is sort of what tipped the, the finally tipped the scales in in the Wolves' direction because like once they took away Jokic, Denver didn't really have like a counterattack. For sure, and here's another reason I'm a little bit nervous about how Minnesota is going to handle the postseason. I mean. Houston beat them 4-0 in the regular season, averaged 123 points in those game and beat them by an average of 16 points, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to be in some adverse situations and uh you know blaming the refs is only going to get you so far. Uh past that, I think Philly is a team to watch, you know, just because of the youth of their main players. Yeah. Uh, uh just it's kind of an unknown. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily totally worried about them. Another one and you know, Raptors fans don't want to hear this, but I think they know it's true. Toronto with the officials, you know, especially late in games, Lowry, DeRozan, both are not afraid to show their frustration when they're not getting calls. And uh, it sometimes contributes to their play not being where it needs to be. I mean, they kind of get into their own heads a little bit with that. Um, you know, it probably won't be an issue against Washington, but, uh, you know, they've they've got to do a better job with composure than they showed in, in some games down the stretch this season. It's a factor for sure. Can I ask you a follow-up question on the Wolves? Because Clarabel wrote in to ask, question about Cat. Do you not think it's possible that looking at his future, he eventually asks for a trade? Seeing Noah, Rose, and Dang must, scared, must scare him. In fact, I think a lot of people would defend him if he's honest and says he's doing it for his own good. Um, I don't know if people would defend him, and I don't know if the Noah, Rose, Dang thing would ever really be a factor. But I will say this. Looking at that Minnesota roster last night, like it's shocking how bleak it gets once you get past Cat and, and Jimmy Butler. And not only that, like even Jimmy Butler is not someone whose future I would feel that comfortable betting on over the next like three or four years, um, just because I think his body has like withstood so much pounding over the last four or five years. Um, oh, wait. So, Andrew, you're a little concerned that he played 40 plus minutes a week after. <laughs> yeah, returning from I mean, the I guess that's not that hot of a take. I'm just saying, like, when you look at that future, I. My biggest takeaway was being more impressed than I expected to be by the Nuggets and what they have going forward. I think Jamal Murray and Jokic are really good, and there are real questions with each of them, and and they're not going to be super easy to, to build around. But I think when you've got Murray, Jokic, and Gary Harris as your core, like that's actually not a bad place to start from. Whereas Minnesota, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Yeah, I hate handing out moral victories ever. Yeah. Uh, but for Denver, they did not go down like punks this not year. Not at know? all. They had a nice nice winning streak. I thought that they would have just faded. It didn't happen, and they competed very well down the stretch. I think Jokic got into his own head about the, the no calls, like you're mentioning, especially late in that game, but he played very well, yeah. and Murray was a flat-out stud. And I'll tell you this, if they're in similar situations in the future— Murray's not going to be deferring to Jokic late in the games. He's going to be stepping up and taking a lot of those shots. I mean, you could, I just kind of could sense he was starting to feel what he could do against, you know, a quality team, a playoff quality team exactly. uh, in that clutch situation. And he was getting to his spot and hitting some amazing shots. And I, I think um, that's going to be a real building block for him going forward. I mean, he's going to spend the entire offseason realizing, like, you know, he's always been a confident, you know, kind of poised type of player. I think that's really going to help uh, his evolution as well. Um, so that was on the Nuggets side. In, in terms of Clarabelle's question with Cat, Cat doesn't get enough credit 
for playing all 82 games three straight years. That's really impressive. Yep. But the reason why I'm concerned about him is his coach will just keep playing him like that indefinitely, you know? And if you're a big guy, at some point you want to be ma- uh, managing those minutes a little bit more carefully, or you want to have a roster that allows him to manage th- that mi- those minutes more carefully. And Minnesota just doesn't really have either one of those things. And, you know, when you look at their mentality, I mean, they sent out a press release for making the playoffs last year. I mean, that's how excited they were about it. It was like Timberwolves victory heralds new era by <laughs> returning to the playoffs, right? Yeah. And I mean, this was their championship. And, you know, that's their short-term mentality in terms of trying to like, you know, advance so uh, carefully and deliberately uh, after so many losing seasons. And to me, like, I don't view them as like a lock playoff team next year. You know, I think they're going to be scrapping in a similar situation. And you could say that kind of going forward. And that puts a lot of pressure on Towns. And I don't know if he's going to f- try to demand a trade or force a trade. I mean, I think he'll take his monster extension you know, as soon as they give it to him or, you know, within a pretty short order just because that's how guys do it, you know, get paid. Sure. But if I was his representatives, and I've said this before, I would talk to ownership about his, his minutes management. And I would say, look, like, we're concerned. We want Cat to be a 20-year player. You know, we want him to be out there you know, racking up career accomplishments like a Kevin Garnett or a Tim Duncan, that type of big guy who's around forever. We don't want him to be done and spent at age 30. And, and how can we work together on that? And I think that's a totally reasonable request. I don't think it would get in the way of a new contract, but I would be already planting those seeds right now if I was his people because Cat likes to play. I mean, he's out there every single night. And at some point, those miles are going to add up. Yeah, uh, it'll be something to watch. I mean, I agree with you that he's uh, like, almost a guarantee to sign with them and uh and and sign the massive extension and just kind of be locked in there but um i also think that there's a good chance that we're like turning around in three years starting free cat campaigns on twitter because he's like super super gifted offensively and uh and not only is he not surrounded with the right pieces, but they also don't seem to know how to use him half the time. And it, it, it just is frustrating. The whole experience is frustrating. And on that note, congrats to Minnesota for making the playoffs because I also have a friend who's a Wolves fan who texted me last night and was like, look, I'm 30 years old and the last time they made the playoffs, I didn't have a driver's license. And this is awesome. This is actually a lot more fun than I thought it would be. And uh, I I totally identify with that, too. It's like as someone who's rooted for a broken team that makes it to the playoffs and, and actually, like, m- makes some progress, uh, it, it is more fun than people sometimes realize. So I'm sure Minnesota is not really, like, worried about any of this right now. No, they sent out that press release genuinely. Yeah, and like, my point is, I don't f- blame them yeah. for feeling that excited about no, this. No, me neither. It's cool. Me, me neither. I, I, I'm not trying to rain on their parade, and if I came off that way, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to put it into the greater perspective here of like, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of what Anthony Davis went through a couple of years ago, where you, you finally make the playoffs, you're so excited, you're hugging Monty Williams, like you feel like this is the start of a long stretch of like extended winning and uh, you know, it's a new era, as the Timberwolves put it. And instead, you know, not too long later, Monty's fired. You're back in the lottery. Uh, you know, you're you're trying to trade pieces for DeMarcus Cousins. The free agency rumors are swirling and life starts to get complicated. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not going to be as clean and pretty uh, as it might feel right now, now that they've kind of, you know, climbed the mountain. Yeah. Um, all right. A couple more questions before we hit the podium here. Caitlin says, when Joel Embiid went down with an injury last year, people still wanted him to be Rookie of the Year because he played so well when he was healthy, even though he mo- missed his first two NBA seasons to injury. 
he wouldn't have been considered a rookie either by those who think Simmons shouldn't win this year. Do you think if Embiid had played most of last season, we would have been having the same controversial comments made against him that Simmons is getting now? Or is it just because Malcolm Brogdon wasn't very good that we we weren't worried about it with Joel Embiid? Well, first of all, we put out the call for questions from female listeners maybe a month ago, and they have responded in a huge way, Andrew. So thanks to Caitlin and the other female listeners for sending in the questions. It's been great to read those. It's a great question. Uh, to me, I think uh, Embiid would not have gotten the same knocks because there wasn't a candidate last year who was on that same level. Yeah. I mean, the anti-rookie uh, marketing campaign, if you want to call it that, is coming <laughs> squarely from... hilarious. <laughs> The, the Donovan Mitchell hive and, you know, Adidas basketball. Like, well, they've got vested okay, so interest in kind of pushing that story. That was my take on it, is that that was like an Adidas thing. And I think it would have been cool for Donovan Mitchell. And to be clear to everyone, he wore a sweatshirt with the... Two sweatshirts. Two sweatshirts with the definition of rookie on them. And uh, he basically brought to life the, like... Well, well, Golliver complaint that that got the the complaint that Golliver was making fun of, where people were like getting pedantic about the definition of a rookie. Donovan Mitchell did that in real life, but I think that was mostly just Adidas's marketing people, and I was ready to give him a full pass on all of it, except that he like kind of doubled down explaining himself in the media, which I thought wasn't the greatest look. I think he's not wrong, though, that, like, Simmons definitely had some clear advantages, um, but it just, you never want to look like you're complaining in in one of these debates. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought it was corny, and I didn't think it was, like, funny petty. You know, sometimes there's funny petty. Uh, I thought this kind of strayed towards corny, uh, but I fully respect his game, and I think ultimately, like, you know, he should let his game do the talking. He also seemed kind of hesitantly drawn into it. Like, you know, he started off and they just kept getting asked about it and kept getting asked about it. And finally it kind of exploded. Uh, it's obviously a good way to get everyone talking about him. So there's some benefits to that too. I don't think it's going to like leave lasting damage to his reputation as a guy who's like, you know, too consumed with the wards or anything like that. So I guess why not do it? Uh-huh. Um, I just thought it was uh, you know, to answer Kalen's question, I thought it was a silly argument this year, and I think it would have been an even sillier argument last year just because the field was weaker. And I think the NBA uh, has no reason to to change the rules here. You know, I mean, I think a rookie has been a rookie as long as I've known, you know, back to Blake Griffin or whoever else has missed seasons, and uh, that should be just fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that it's not not like – high on the on the list of things the NBA needs to address. I think someone else emailed, I forget who, someone else emailed in suggesting that uh, we take Malcolm Brogdon's Rookie of the Year and give it to Donovan Mitchell and so that everyone can feel uh, made whole after all of this. And I think that's not the worst idea in the world. It's, it's a bummer that they couldn't just split it because I think that would most accurately reflect how impressive both of them were this year. But... Um, such is life. No, I'm, I'm serious. Look, if, if the award, whatever, we're not getting into this again. The only, the only thing worse than moral victories is ties. Come on, Andrew. <sighs> we can just say Ben Simmons was the rookie of the year and Donovan Mitchell was really, really good too. We don't have to wring our hands and feel awful. That's about fair. It. That's fair. Uh, one more question regarding the Sixers. Anthony says, as the 76ers continue to get better and improve their possibility of signing LeBron, uh, should I be concerned by the latest reports about LeBron asking 
Pat Riley to fire Eric Spolstra when he was in Miami. I personally don't want LeBron in Philly, and it scares me knowing that LeBron could push Brian Colangelo, who is weak and spineless, into firing a amazing coach in Brett Brown. Um, I would say this, that Anthony hits on like the biggest reason I would be freaked out about adding LeBron if I were a Sixers fan, because I don't think that the management team in place in Philly... <laughs> I'm not going to go as far as he did and and call Colangelo weak and spineless, but I do think that he would be willing to work with LeBron. And, uh, and I could like, if LeBron goes to Philly, they would trade Markel Fultz in like three days and uh, there would just be shit like that every couple months. And, uh, that's why I wouldn't be like overjoyed about the possibility if I were a Sixers fan. Uh, Anthony, can we just pump the brakes slightly? You know, you're getting it maybe three or four steps ahead. First of all, let's see how Ben Simmons looks in the playoffs, okay? Second of all, let's see if you guys win a series. Third of all, let's see if uh, LeBron and the Cavaliers disappoint or if they roll through everybody. And the great part about it is we could easily see those two teams facing off in this year's postseason to help provide significant clarity to this question. And not only that, I've thought about this. I don't think LeBron could go to Philly if he lost to the Sixers, which would be another layer of intrigue to a potential Cavs Sixers series. And like the like alt process army already doesn't really want LeBron, and that would be like another reason for them to to go crazy rooting against uh, Cleveland in that series. Not yeah, that they would need uh, the added look- motivation, but still. But Anthony, let me also just say this as a reality check. I think what you need to do is remind yourself where you were at two years ago during that 10-win season. And now you're here saying, oh, you know, I want to pick and choose and not take LeBron <laughs> on my team. All right. Like, don't, but the basketball gods do not look favorably on that type of karma change. You know, when you're like, you know, beggars can't be choosers two years ago. And now you're like, oh, yeah, no, actually, we've already got our team. We're set. You know, someone else can deal with LeBron's ego. Uh Careful, careful if you play with fire. But like that's that. the most valid reason to be worried about it. I don't think I, I think you're tempting fate if you're saying no. I don't really like the basketball fit with LeBron James. I'd rather like have Covington on the wing there. Like I think that's above and beyond. But I think if you look at the management structure in place and say, uh, I could see LeBron try to pull some strings and becoming like the worst version of himself in Philly. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me, but, um, but you're right. That's, that's I do. Three months I would, from now. I would do it. I would do it just for the hype though. If I'm them, I mean, fit questions, whatever else you want to throw out there. Like it, it's still worth okay. it. Um, uh, they would be the biggest story in basketball. I mean, that, that is part of it. And I think LeBron needs to be weighing that aspect of it too here as he makes his next uh, decision as he surveys the landscape, right? He hasn't been the story this year. He's tried in vain playing all 82 games, leading the league in minutes, putting out all these different, uh, you know, career highs and these different storylines about how he should be viewed as the MVP. I mean, I think he wants to get back to being that centerpiece type player where we're talking about him on a nightly basis. And and the Philadelphia would deliver that. I mean, those guys would win 55 plus games easily. Um, and they would play very entertaining style. I mean, there would be tons and tons of highlights. Uh, they've already, you know, name dropped the you know, King and the Fresh Prince for LeBron and Ben <laughs> yeah, Simmons, you know, incredibly I mean, they, corny. I can't believe they're still doing that. They would kill on social media, which, you know, I think does matter to these guys a lot. So I don't know. I, I could just, 
I guess I would tell Anthony, first of all, don't play with the basketball gods. Second of all, remember that LeBron brings a lot positive to the table. Okay. Well, yeah, you're right that we will revisit this in three months with a lot more clarity. Um, but for now, a couple podium questions. Thaddeus says, Sharp and Golliver, as NBA analysts, obviously you guys come at things in different directions. Everybody, though, falls into groupthink, where the Warriors are a lock, and Harden and Paul are chokers, and Paul Paul George and Jimmy Butler got traded for pennies. Those were just some of the summer's hits. Whether it is for argument's sake or because your op- opinions truly differ, it feels like when one of you falls into a groupthink narrative, the other opposes them. How do you know when you're smartly looking at contrarian information to avoid the groupthink, and how do you know when you're just trolling? Um, that's a really good question. What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, it's fairly simple. You know, you're wrong about 85 to 90% of the time. (laughs) So if I go, if I go the other way, (laughs) I'm good. No, I'm playing. Look, I will say this. Uh, when we first started this podcast a while ago, however long it was ago, um, there was many situations where we were being involved in conversations that I didn't want to be involved in because I had already made up my mind. And I think if I've learned anything from the process of doing this podcast with you, mm-hmm. it is the inherent value of, you know, devil's advocacy. And, you know, I've called you a grease pig and other things <laughs> like that, you know, demeaning, you know, along the way. But I think your real skill in terms of, you know, fostering debate is to take the sides that other people wouldn't take and flesh out the quality of the arguments to kind of make the discussion better as a whole. And uh, so from that standpoint, I, I'm not really trying to troll with my takes ever. I, I will say that yeah. I try to, you know, make reasoned sound judgments. I immerse myself in all the available data. I watch tons and tons of games. I try to reach my conclusions, but the, the second stage to that is having to discuss and, and you know back up your takes with someone who is poking and prodding and needling and looking for weaknesses and, and trying to do all the things that you do. And I think that's very valuable. So uh, I think you deserve some credit here for you know being willing to uh, be wrong or <laughs> yeah, to at least rep- represent the unconventional wisdom yes. uh, or you know the unconventional non-wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And I think you know ultimately that makes for a much better product. And it makes you know, it's, I think it's improved my, uh, you know, opinion creation. Uh, so I'll give you credit for that. <laughs> yes. But I also, you know, I also think we don't disagree that much. And we also look here for topics where we do disagree because it's more entertaining to listen to. I'm right? just here to help you improve your takes. Okay. And I'm, I'm like honing them. Like a, it's like a blacksmith situation. You know, <laughs> sometimes I'm just sort of in here. I actually don't know what blacksmiths do at this point or if blacksmiths still exist, but, uh, all of your points are well taken. There's, and sounds like there's like prods involved. I don't, I don't know if you want <laughs> yeah. to use the blacksmith analogy. <laughs> Maybe not the best analogy. But look, uh, my answer to this is that I'm never just trolling. I don't really do that. Um, but I do definitely get bored with groupthink narrative, even though oftentimes it's correct. And, uh, and so I do sometimes like basically out of boredom start arguing the other side which certainly happened some of it with the donovan mitchell situation where i think there are interesting ways to describe why donovan mitchell was awesome this year that were too casually dismissed by a lot of people and so we argued about it even though both of us knew that ben simmons was the best rookie that in the nba this year so um I do think that it, it's something I struggle with 
consistently because it's like uh, there's just so much like smug groupthink in NBA writing sometimes, and uh, and so sometimes I'm compelled to adopt positions that are like wrong but more interesting, um, and so I, I have yeah. to guard against that. Yeah, let me put a slightly different twist on what I was trying to say earlier. Maybe it was a little sloppy and came off negative, like I was demeaning your your opinions or something. What you've taught me is that when it comes to arguments, really, it's more about the journey than the destination. <laughs> and by, by my nature, all I care about, or especially in the past, all I cared about was the destination. Reach my opinion. Okay, that's it. I'm not going to be you know pushed off of it under any circumstances. I'm going to ride with whatever my predictions were to the bitter end. Uh, and so forth. And I think you're very much more a journey related type of guy. You like the twisted yeah. turns. You like uncovering. We're just having you know, conversations, that you might man. Not have just asking questions. Anticipated. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, full credit to you. Um, all right. Well, moving on. Uh, Tanner says, just as a heads up, I'm a diehard Magic fan and Kevin is not your only Magic listener, but there aren't wow. many of us. This is not the 90s anymore. And then he went on to ask a question about uh, if you were managing Orlando, what would be your main objectives heading into the summer? Unfortunately, Tanner, we do appreciate you listening, but I don't think either one of us have any firm magic opinions right now. I, I just hope they draft Luka Doncic or Trey Young uh, because they need a little sizzle uh, to go with their Jonathan Isaac stake down there and maybe get maybe get a good uh, coach in there. I think like things are looking up. Everyone in Orlando recognizes that like. The current state of things is probably rock bottom, and it can't get worse than it was the last month. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're in sort of that textbook transition where, you know, new management comes, lets the current coach coach out a year, see what he can do. If he doesn't drastically overachieve, he's out the door. And that's what happened with Vogel. I mean, he was set up to fail. There's no question. Uh, The previous regime, you know, really struggled with talent evaluations, trades, all the major things. And I think you have you know, a certain degree of uh, uh, professionalism in that front office or, you know, experience that they maybe uh, were lacking in some ways uh, in the past in terms of just, you know, knowledge of different dynamics, you know, where the game is being played and all that stuff. So uh, I would be somewhat optimistic, but it starts with the draft. It starts with the coaching hire. Uh, They've got to get uh, a lead guard, like you mentioned, a true playmaker who can kind of set everything up. Uh, they haven't had one for years, and they've suffered for years. I think that's as clear as it gets. And you can say all the exact same things I just said about the Knicks with Hornacek, by the yeah. way. You know, I mean, they've struggled because they haven't had that lead guard. Uh, you know, they, he was a kind of a transition year. Hornacek, you know, was kind of a dead man walking the whole season long. You know, Vogel was in a similar situation, so it's no surprise. And I think this is the first real chance for the Magic's new front office to kind of put their stamp on things uh, here over the next, you know, two months with the coaching hire. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the, the lottery pick as well. So uh, I guess it's TBD. I mean, that's, that's really all I can have say at this point about the magic, but, uh, I agree with you that it's going to be less bleak next season. <laughs> I can't believe we're finishing out our massive playoff preview with some magic talk, but yeah, it can't get worse than it is now. Um, well, well, hold on one second, because we had another question from James and he asked one award that he'd like to see is which team tanked the best. And, you know, while we're on the subject of these bad teams like the Magic, uh-huh. Andrew, shouldn't we just take a moment to salute the god, Ryan McDonough, down in Phoenix? <laughs> I mean, let's give this guy a standing ovation. There is no question 
in my mind, that he was the most valuable tanker this year. I mean, let's can we run through some of his greatest hits just from this year? And I've been, you know, clowning on this guy for what, three, four yeah. years now? Uh, just this season. So they come into the year, they're talking about their big 2020 plan to turn the corner, all these all-stars they're going to have. Boom, they fire their coach after the three games. I mean, what a great start to the year. <laughs> after that, they trade Eric Bledsoe, pennies on the dollar, right? Uh, they buy out Greg Monroe. They get nothing for Bledsoe, basically. Uh, you know, from there, uh, they wind up, you know, just being awful. I mean, just getting gutted night after night after night. And by the end of the season, lo and behold, after resting their guys for, you know, on and off for weeks, uh, they finish with the league's worst record, which was a true accomplishment this year. Lots of, you know, competition for that. Memphis, Dallas, uh, obviously Atlanta, Orlando, Chicago. So, you know, that was no easy accomplishment, but to really as the cherry on top, you know, McDonough, they they lost so much and, you know, Devin Booker, he's going to need... Uh, sponsorship deals, not only for his, you know, on-court shoes, but his off-court apparel. I mean, this guy sits on the sidelines so often, he's going to need to get head-to-toe wardrobe sponsorships. You know what? Because, can, I, uh, can I just interject for a second? My favorite part of the Suns tanking experience, and I think you're right, if, if we're awarding a tanker, it has to go to Phoenix for going above and beyond not only, I think, in part because they started the season with the, like, this year is is different. It's time to turn the corner. That whole narrative. And then, like, we look look up four months later and they're just uh, lapping the field in the tanking race. Um, but my favorite part of the whole thing was, like, I had Devin Booker on my fantasy team for the final month or two of the season. And, uh, and so I started fo- following a bunch of Suns beat writers, and uh, I never really unfollowed them. And so, like, for the last month, I've been getting updates an hour before every Suns game. Like, is Devin Booker going to play tonight? And, uh, and, like, sometimes there'll be quotes from Booker where he'll say, like, probably not going to be out there tonight. And it's like, that's the most tankerific answer possible if the, the dude is asked whether you're playing he's like eh probably not <laughs> and like that's just where the suns have been the entire year and particularly over the last two months it's been amazing he's like he's like my body's feeling great but yeah no don't know don't <laughs> we're know gonna, gonna play happen. it safe here you know can't take any chances yeah. with your like sprained and wrist and that's why it's the cherry on top because, you know, we came into this season, he was supposed to establish himself as a true franchise guy, carry this team up, you know, closer to the playoff bubble, right? Yeah. That didn't happen. Uh, and he ends the season saying, look, I'm, you know, essentially I, I'm sick of not playing was essentially his message. And that's the right message. It's right on schedule for the frustration standpoint. They're going to have to give him every possible dollar. They're going to have no leverage in that contract negotiations. And if I was his people, I would still be making noise about trying to get him out of there because why waste any more time with them they're going nowhere i mean what are they doing around him nothing and i mean there were other greatest hits i didn't even mention i mean the marquise chris experience that is just (laughs) and alex peters the other night he led the entire league in scoring yeah fantastic so uh you know hats off to ryan mcdonough another this could be a career achievement award too i mean this is not a one-year thing i mean he's just extending his reign of dominance i think you know hinky deservedly you know understand like he's the, the tanker of all time yeah. you know, number one but i think mcdonough's got to be on mount rushmore right next to him. <laughs> absolutely all right well that's a great way to end the podcast oh, because no our, we can't what? we can't quite end andrew because i've got a surprise for you guess what, what? hit me 
Now, there's uh, one of our listeners from England. His name is Alex, and he got really, really angry with you about something you said about the Atlanta Hawks. I think you maybe said that we should delete their history if we had to delete one team from the yeah. NBA because all you all you really be losing is uh, you know Dominique Wilkins and not much. You else. know what? Let me now, add he... one thing there. I was at a Wizards game a week after that podcast, and a friend who had listened to the show was like, you know, if we deleted the Wizards history, I don't think anyone would complain outside of D.C., and that's a fair point, too. So I shouldn't I shouldn't be the one out here deleting other franchises, but continue. So Alex is a Hawks fan. He First of all, he emailed me to let me know all of the instances of the Hawks history that was you know actually great that you had forgot, you know, going back to like the 60s. So yeah, Pistol uh, Pete, I'm not gonna, maybe. You had, they had the yeah. Lenny Wilkins years. Those weren't as great. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to bore you with that details, but I do want to read something that he sent over. And it's, it's 914 words, so I'm probably not going to read the Please whole don't. thing. But we're going to go... <laughs> We're going to go as far as we can before you just beg for mercy, okay? okay? And his essay is titled, Six Reasons to Follow Ben Golliver Over Andrew Sharp. And he also, by the way, in addition to being mad about your Atlanta Hawks takes, uh, he is a big Lord of the Rings fan. Oh, okay. So here's how, he be- here's how he begins. So many people have Andrew, just turned off the podcast that I'm happy for them. But continue. That's fine. This it. is for the true heads, the Open Floor Globe members. You're going to listen. You're going to love it. Andrew. You have made a powerful enemy. Over the past few weeks, you have slighted and belittled the Atlanta Hawks, and my time for vengeance is nigh. It is clear to me that you are nothing but a fool of a toque. I give you fair warning that this is but the first of many blows struck for Team Gulliver. More will come. The forces of Team Gulliver are amassing under Ben's banner of truth and wisdom, and we are prepared to strike down the forces of evil and madness known as the Sharpies. Dude, is this a Tolkien burner account? It sounds like it makes sense that he's a Lord of the Rings fan. J.R.R. weighing in in the emails. Uh, he goes on to say, Below is just a taste of what to expect. Six reasons for listeners to leave the false basketball prophet known as Andrew Sharp. Number one. Andrew Sharp knows nothing about Viking burials. In an article Andrew wrote on the 14th of March this year, Andrew described his desire for a Viking funeral for all of our dumbest opinions. In this, in, in this article, it appears that Andrew is picturing a big celebration with a burning ship to destroy all the ideas of Exactly. Old. I'm afraid Andrew is much mistaken. Viking funerals actually involved burying someone with the things they might need for the afterlife, usually a a sword and wine. For Andrew, we can only assume that he will be buried with the full uncut Lord of the Rings trilogy (laughs) in in DVD and book form and James Harden replica jersey, as these are things he will undoubtedly need in the afterlife. Now, look... There are five more We're reasons that are almost as long as this. <laughs> they include Andrew Sharp hating on KD, Sharp's foul language in the presence of Elizabeth. And by the way, he said, this is uh, from Alex. Elizabeth, if you are listening, you may be a Mormon from North Carolina, and I may be an atheist from England, but be assured that we have met under the banner of truth and peace known to all <laughs> as Team Golliver. From there, he goes on to talk about your wizard fetish, uh, your lack of knowledge about the Hawks' history, including Bob Pettit. Oh, that's uh, right, Bob Dikembe Pettit. Mutombo, sure. You know, uh, Hall of Famer Cliff Hagen, uh, Lou Hudson, Mookie Blaylock. Uh, and then he also noted that 
you thought Ty Lawson at one point in your life was going to be an X factor. And <laughs> it is now a member of how the Wizards ti- playoff roster. Sure. I was going to say how timely now he's on your favorite team about ready to help what sabotage a playoff. Totally. <laughs> so I just want to say, you know, Alex, we have a high bar here in terms of the best fan fiction we've ever received. I think you might've said it even higher. I mean, this was a truly spectacular work of writing Andrew, I hope you feel well, uh, humbled by Alex's devotion to you. And, you know, I think you need to take your L here. We need to give him extra credit for somehow circumventing my email and sending that directly to you as, a, as some sort of sneak attack. Uh, but yes, thank you to Alex. And we will sign off there. <laughs> this is close to an hour and a half. Uh, way too long. But thank you to everyone who stuck with us. And if you stuck around this long, I definitely think that you should go join the Open Floor Globe Playoff Challenge that we threw out on Twitter. And uh, we've got some good prizes. We The Ubre bobblehead is for sure a prize, and we'll come up with some other stuff. Um, and we can send them around, around the world to uh, any listeners. And Ben, maybe Alex Kimmon, who knows? Anything is possible here. Anybody can win this bracket challenge. Be sure to check out Andrew's Twitter, my Twitter, Instagram. We'll have the link out there. Sign up, guys. It'll be a lot of fun. Don't forget, uh, go to uh, Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor, name of our podcast. Scroll down. It'll say rate and review, tap five-star reviews. It really helps us get the word out. We're so excited to talk about the NBA playoffs, and we appreciate you guys helping us spread the word. All questions, comments, concerns, counters to Alex's takedown of Andrew Sharp, please send them to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man, take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.